Welcome to the Hot Potato Podcast, a series that grabs the burning topic of climate change with both hands and asks how regenerative farming can help solve the problem. We all know farming systems need to change to feed the 8 billion people on this planet without actually destroying the planet. But how? Here on the Hot Potato Pod, we're starting with, who'd have thought it, the humble spud. As the third most consumed crop globally, potatoes play a vital role in how land is farmed and how people are fed. This podcast is brought to you by McCain Foods. With one in four fries eaten around the world made by McCain Foods, together with their farmers, they know a thing or two about growing potatoes. They are working with growers to drive regenerative agriculture practices at farms across the globe and have set the ambitious goal for 100% of their potato crop to be produced on regenerative farms by 2030. So keep your ears peeled as together we chip away at the hottest challenge facing food producers today. Hello, I'm your host Louise Gray. As a farmer's daughter, great-granddaughter of a greengrocer and most of all, lover of eating, I'm passionate about food and where it comes from. But like a lot of people, I feel confused and anxious about the impact our food is having on the ongoing climate crisis. In fact, I've written a book about it, Avocado Anxiety. I want to dig into the roots of how our food is produced and how we can feed ourselves whilst protecting the planet. In this podcast specifically, we'll be talking about potatoes. I like mine baked and how they can be farmed in a way that is more environmentally friendly and makes us just a little bit less anxious. Joining me today to discuss the future of the world and climate change and potatoes is agroecologist and director of Integrity Soils, Nicole Masters. Hi, thanks for having me. And global director of agriculture sustainability at McCain Foods, Eve Leclerc. Hi, I'm extremely happy to be here. So my first guest is Nicole Masters, who travels the world teaching farmers how to transform their farms into a more regenerative way of farming, regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the way that most of us connect most obviously to the environment is through food. And we see farms out there and we're generally seeing intensive monoculture farms. That's what we're used to seeing, you know. Yes. And I just wanted to know from you, what impact is that having on the environment? You know, what's the harm being done? Well, thanks for having me on, Louise. Um, We've really been in an experiment for like 140 years of this chemical treadmill of how do we make systems more like a machine? How do we increase efficiencies? How do we get rid of redundancy? How do we mechanize landscapes? So we just grow this one crop here. We have this kind of machinery. We make systems really, really simple, uh, predominantly for for the production side of things, as opposed to how do we diversify? Uh, how do we build resilience? Um, and we're starting to see the consequences. So if you want some numbers, you could talk about things like, you know, we've lost 200 gigatons of carbon since the, the advent of the plow from soil. So that soil is either going into waterways, into the ocean or up into the atmosphere, or we're costing industrial agriculture costs the planet about $3 trillion every single year in air quality, water, the loss of biodiversity, let alone the human health, like that's not even featuring um, human health costs into that. And so the costs from agriculture are often, or industrial agriculture are being born outside of the farm gate. And this is part of the question as people are asking is, how do I start 
to just take responsibility and be accountable for that and then how do I become part of the solution instead of part of the problem and that's the space I work in like I'm really not interested in the data and the numbers in terms of we're at 1.6 and we're you know four degrees and we're all going to die and the planet's burning um that's less of interest to me in terms of what are people already doing on the ground and how fast can we transform things and what does it take and working with those people because I think we're close to a tipping point in many areas of seeing not only ecosystem function restore but the changes in local climate and so much of what's happening with climate is a land management issue it's not a um well there's a whole lot of issues involved to it but I think we need to be talking much more about land management than what we are I agree with you. It can be a positive story. You can get really worried about climate change and see the fact that a lot of human-made greenhouse gases are from agriculture. But that can be seen as a good thing, right? If you can transform agriculture into something that produces less carbon and can protect wildlife. So we'll be talking later about how we can do that. But at this stage, I'd like to bring in Eve. I thought I knew a lot about potatoes. Um, I've written a whole chapter on them in my last book, but um, Eve has a PhD in them. And I know that potatoes could be um, quite a difficult crop to make sustainable because it actually relies on a lot of chemicals. So do you want to explain how you can make it more sustainable? Uh, I agree that with you that, uh, yes, potatoes take a lot of inputs, but at the same time, I think we need to look at what potato gives us uh, in terms of human nutrition. And in relation to the use of resources, it's actually also quite efficient. Uh, if you look at, for instance, water, uh, water use, uh, it is one of the crop that uses the less water per amount of crop that is produced or per kilogram of potato. So it's got a lot to offer uh, humanity. It's also a crop that can be grown across the world. So I think it's actually one, if not the crop, that's the most widely grown in terms of environment around the world. I find the history of potatoes fascinating. When they first arrived in Europe in the 16th century, they were considered the devil's food because they grew underground and because they looked rude. (laughs) (laughs) They drove the Industrial Revolution, right? Because they allowed this explosion in the population that we needed for industry. And then they drove the emigration to the Americas through the Irish potato famine. They are driving development in the global south at the moment. And then I believe NASA is investigating potatoes on Mars. They might help us (laughs) colonise another planet, potentially. But actually what we're interested in is can they help us feed ourselves in a more sustainable way? So do you want to tell us more about what McCain want to do to to farm potatoes in a more sustainable way? So... Obviously, potatoes grows underground, so we have a challenge in potato cultivation is to try to find out how we can grow potatoes by disturbing the soil, yes, but try to minimize the impact. So what we have actually launched at McCain is what we call our Region Ag program, and it is based on the five element of soil health, basically, which includes the ability to cover our ground for as long as possible during the growing season, but also in winter. So making sure that our ground is protected. We're also trying to minimize tillage, of course, which is very essential. And as we mentioned, potato is grown underground, so we need to look at different technology and techniques to be able to do that. We're also trying to really build uh, the soil itself. So when we talk about food production, usually what we're talking about is growing food for us humans. 
However, when you're looking at it, the context of soil health, what we need to do too is making sure that we're able to feed the ground as well. Trying to make sure that we protect our ground with living roots for as long as possible is very critical. Then the third element is also the entire aspect of diversity. How can we diversify our cropping system to be able to bring in greater biodiversity in terms of micronutrients living in the soil and also being able to look at the entire element of being able to recycle nutrients. Another element that we're looking at, of course, is trying to reintegrate animals within our production system. So this is the five principle of soil health. On top of that, what we're doing at McCain is also looking at the element of how can we use the inputs, the fertilizer, the chemicals, the, the crop protection product, and water more efficiently. So we also included that in our process. What you're explaining is... Um your interpretation of regenerative agriculture, which is basically trying to grow potatoes with less chemical inputs and more care of the soil. I guess we have attempted at McCain to put the definition to regenerative agriculture. And what we define it as basically is an ecosystem-based approach to farming that aims at improving farmer resilience. And resilience is in terms of economics, but also in terms of climate change, uh, trying to maintain our yield. And we're doing that by restoring uh, soil health, enhancing the biodiversity and reducing the impact of synthetic fertilizer. So it does allow use of chemicals because I think it's where people get confused. It's not organic, but it is trying to farm in a more sustainable way. Could you explain that a bit more and tell us if you think it is possible with large-scale agriculture? Good question. And when you look at when organics first arose, organic arose out of the same concern and the same driver that regenerative agriculture has. And then they came up against the same issue, which is how do you define something like organics? And if you go back to the initial definition of organics, Lady Eve Balfour described organics as it's an attitude Right. It's, it's an attitude. And then we're like, well, how do you certify an attitude? Well, then definitions came in and then what you can and cannot do came in and then the dogma came in and then suddenly you can cultivate your fields as much as you wanted as long as you weren't using chemical inputs. And as a result of that, we saw a lowering of biodiversity and mineralization and biomass under the ground and, and the quality of what people were producing. And so very much what we're seeing is a movement of people saying, how do I really look after my soil? How do I improve the quality of what I'm producing so that I'm not passing on chemical residues, for instance, because my biological system on the leaf and in the soil is able to break down those chemicals if you are using chemicals, for instance. Like the biological system can be inc incredibly robust, but what we've been doing is beating it down and beating it down through tillage, through chemical applications, through fungicides, pesticides. You know, and if we had to flip it the other way and say, actually, we should just certify what is applied to a crop before someone eats that, then I think people would start to choose differently based on what they see on that, or what's been applied to that food. And so I think this is why there's such a reluctance for people who've been involved in regenerative agriculture for a long time to define it is because we're looking at a space that is 
It's very innovative. It's a space that's interested in the outcomes. And what I'm seeing is people are coming in and they're certifying regenerative agriculture based on practices. And as we know with human beings is just because you do a practice, so we could do a cover crop. We've seen huge amounts of cover crops going in last year in the US. And as a result, we saw huge amounts of glyphosate. So the actual herbicide rates went up. Well, that doesn't help us achieve an outcome of improving quality. Uh, Tillage went up. If you get your timing wrong with a cover crop, you can actually create compaction. You can actually create the opposite of the outcome of what you're wanting. So what we're more interested in is what is the quality of what you're producing? There are now tests to be able to show, hey, so many of these nutrient measures that we're looking at in food come from microbiology they come from endophytes they come from having this living biological system that really is the gut of the planet and the plant and that's what's being able to pass those quality measures onto a plant and help that break down any chemical and so if we just come at this from a from a practice-based issue then I'm really concerned we're going to end up in a whole lot of greenwashing and we're not really moving the dial which is we need to be moving this rapidly there are ways that we can shift intensive industrial systems very very quickly you know I'm pretty confident I can walk onto any high input system and reduce their inputs by 30 percent with no drop in production I can absolutely guarantee that I can do that for somebody a lot of farmers of be sitting up at this moment (laughs) yeah but but then you look at um, a lot of initiatives around the world and they're just these little step changes or they're technological changes you know we might bring in precision agriculture or we're going to leave more stubble in the field or so my question is is how do we start to earn the right to cultivate because cultivation's happening great okay how are we going to feed microbiology or how do we allow soils to rest how do we encourage more diversity which which I hear you saying, right? How, how are we going to do that? And how do we do that in a way that really supports producers and reduces that concern about risk? It's about um, embracing complexity, isn't it? You know, I, I yes. feel like a lot of our conversation comes back to the complexity of the soil and the, the living system. So Eve, to come back to you, that so it's incredibly complex to regenerate your soil, but you are farming potatoes that we're all eating and wanting to share this story with people. So tell us in a simple way you can how you are regenerating soils and practicing regenerative agriculture on your farms. So in essence, what we're trying to do really is to try to mimic as much as possible nature within ag. Agriculture is not a natural process. This is basically humans intervening on the land to be able to you know, grow food for our need. So it is not natural. But if we look at the principle of ecology, but especially the key cycles in the ecological process and try to mimic that and bring that back at the farm level, I think we will make some major progress. And what I'm talking about the the cycles, first one, of course, is the carbon carbon cycle. Totally true that as soon as we plowed the ground, we basically lost a lot of of carbon. Typically, we probably lost, what, three quarters plus of the carbon that exists in soil, and that's largely due to the tillage that we've done. So we need to be able to rebuild our carbon in our soil. This is fundamental. And this is where the cover cropping systems, making sure we're also be able to integrate animals back into the production system is so critical. So that's one element of that is very important for us. The other aspect is to look at the entire water cycle. And that's a 
a huge issue in agriculture, uh, but it's not only the agriculture, it's a lot of what humans do, is we tend to impact the land in such a way that water is not penetrating the land itself, and we're ending up having flooding both in cities or also in ag, in, in ag settings. So one thing that we're trying to do by what we're doing is trying to make sure that we're able to have water cycle that is proper, meaning that when there's rain, the rain goes through the soil and not goes on the surface of it. What we're trying to do as well, and that goes to try to see how we can improve on our use of nutrients, is to look at the entire nutrient cycle. And again, this is where diversity of crop, diversity of plant, diversity in, in animals will allow us to basically restart the, the biological process, which are really the biology in the soil, to be able to restore and be able to reduce our reliance in, in external inputs. But I think it's important, always important to understand that this is a complex system. Uh, it is totally true to Nicole's point, as we've been tended in agriculture in the past, I would say, 50 years, to focus on trying to find simple solutions. But when you're looking at it from an ecosystem-based approach, it's not a single bullet that is going to make it work. It's looking at the entire system. We need to look at it from a, a, a complex point of view, but that needs to be looked at it holistically, basically, and not as a single element of it. I like the idea of a holistic approach, not only for the environment, but for the people working on the farm and them being able to consider their own health and well-being as well as the well-being of the soil, you know, all sort of linking up, and thinking about everything at once. Exactly. And can you give us some specific examples, Eva, of what you're doing on farms, particularly on the demonstration farms that you've got? Yes, of course. And these are the demonstration farms you've got in Canada and South Africa, which are experimenting essentially with methods to see what works to make the soil healthier that then you can roll out to smaller farmers that you can give them the option of using on their farms. Yes, correct. So that's us doing it. We've got made right now two farms of future, one in New Brunswick and one in South Africa. We're looking at implementing another one. So what we're doing basically is we're looking at where we are around the world and trying to find the best place to put farms that we could use to extend globally. So just explain to us what you do. So, for example, uh, we talked about the, the, the need for tillage. Well, why do we need to till right now? Well, there's two reasons. One is to decrease the compaction that we have created because we're using large uh, machinery. And the other one is also because we need to be able to prepare the seedbed. And we also want, in some cases, to incorporate the residue in the soil. So a couple of practices that we're using, one of them, for instance, to try to reduce the compaction is the adoption of what we call control traffic. So uh, every single piece of equipment that we have going on Farm of the Future here in Canada is always traveling on the same track. So what that means basically is the impact of machinery on the land is located to about eh, 14 to 20 percent of the soil. Therefore, all we need to do for decompacting is only decompacting those areas. So these are just small examples, but I think what is important is to look at the entire package and try to see how this will impact. And we're measuring it. That's one big element that we're trying to do is measure everything that we're doing to be able to see what there, what is the impact on the carbon itself, on the water, on nutrients as well, leaving the, the, the soil and as well on biodiversity. So these are all elements that we're also measuring, which is very, very critical to be able to demonstrate progress. 
just to explain it very simply, could you just explain the compaction very simply? Would it be through GPS? So there'd be GPS on your farm equipment that makes sure the farm equipment is always following the same track to minimise compaction of soil and therefore leaving the remaining soil to be more aerated and healthier. So obviously to be able to, to always drive in the same area where you need GPS technology. So uh, every single piece of equipment at the farm is equipped with GPS to allow us to always travel on those same track. That's very important. So what's the next step after that in the examples, the technologies you're using to start bringing down chemicals and bringing the soil back to life? Well, really, after that is how do you work with growers, basically, to, first of all, uh, understand what their issues are at the farm level. And every single farm is different. I think it's important that you work uh, with the grower to understand it. And it's not a cookie cutter. It's really looking at from a systems point of view. So you need to be able to sit down with the grower, understand what his issue is, what he's trying to accomplish as well, to be able to move in that direction. So there's the education part, then there's what I call the extension part, and also the element of finding solutions. The concept of being able to do some research, being able to understand, provide practical, technical solution for growers to be able to, uh, for them to uh, adjust those practices is a critical element. And that's where, again, Farm of the Future is coming in, where we're really looking at it uh, to try to, like, for, for our from our point of view, it's really what we call walking the talk. So doing it ourselves, understanding, learning, looking at the benefits, but also the cost element or the difficulties to be able to transfer that to grower level after. Nicole, what would you say to a farmer who's considering a move to regenerative agriculture? Find someone that you trust that's much further along in their journey and um, learn from them. Just learn alongside someone because there are pitfalls. Get yourself set up. Don't just pull the the rug out and go cold turkey because, yeah, we want to set systems up for health. I would say look at your production system, look at your crops and focus on what you want to change the most. What is your biggest issue? And start there. Use Regen Ag to be able to address it, then progress in the system. And what are the benefits of regenerative agriculture? How could it change our landscape and our food? I think it has the potential to absolutely flip the system on its head. And one of the first things I really see showing up is um, joy, peace of mind, creativity so that that human side of thing really improves there's been quite a few global studies now to show that profitability three studies showed around 78 to 80 percent increase in profitability and then an increase of actually how much calories do you grow per acre of soil because we're not necessarily just growing one crop you might have animals and all the rest of it but for me it's an entire systems change the really great research coming in around climate mitigation is that if you have like a parcel of 25,000 acres, you have the ability to change the climate for other people downstream. So seeing these huge improvements in water quality, water holding, the way water moves, the, the, the impact on, um, you know, if I had to say it in a nutshell, it's everything. It's just everything, Louise. So I think let's just flip it on its head. What isn't possible, I think, with regenerative agriculture is the question. It's the answer. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um Eve, what are the benefits of regenerative agriculture on your farms and more widely as it rolls out around the world? 
Yeah, well, the first benefit we saw very fast was being able to reduce erosion, being able to maintain our soil. Then what we saw the next one after is the entire texture and friability of the soil, being able to see what a, a soil that is alive looks like and feels like. To me, after three years, this is really what resonates the most when I'm able to go in the, in the field, take a shovel and be able to feel that feel the difference, so to speak. And that's all due to the ability for us to be able to bring back life in our soil. So it goes back to the soil and being able to bring diversity, biology and activity in our soil. And from that comes a more live landscape, more wildlife. Yeah, well, you maintain your water, you're able to you know, filter the water, being able to maintain your rivers and lakes more clean, be able to grow food more wholesomely, reduce your inputs, which is very critical. So it's all these things that makes a difference in the landscape and also for growers as well, for their, you know, their well-being in terms of growing their health, uh, but also in their pocketbook. So like Nicole said, everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a holistic approach. It's an holistic approach. Yeah. Nicole, do you believe you can see that on scale with big ag like McCain and growing potatoes on the scale would be described as? Yeah, it, it's interesting to me. I mean, we see measurable visual differences within about six weeks of altering programs. We see significant improvements in biology. So I feel like we can move the dial much, much quicker than, and, and people have been doing this for a long time as well. So finding producers that have been doing this for a while and talking to them, scalability is not the issue. You know, my average client when I was consulting was probably 10,000 acres. So I'm not concerned at all about the scalability. What I'm concerned about is we are moving away from what regenerative agriculture is really looking to address which is what's happening with local food supplies what's happening with food deserts what's happening with equality and justice and all of the foundations that make this approach and I guess my question for McCain is like regenerative agriculture is still you know working its way through it's not very well defined you guys are massive suppliers of potatoes and I take my hat off at what you're doing why choose the terminology regenerative agriculture? You could choose anything. You could name these the super spuds of, you know, super ecological spuds. And I'm sure you spend a lot of time talking about this, but what brings you to defining and then labeling something? It's a good question. Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. But but truly for us, it's we're, what we're trying to do is regenerate our production system, basically. And we're trying to do that by regenerating our soil. And, and to me, this is where region ag is, is you know, the element of region ag or the, the full intent is to be able to relook at what is the important element of our production system, which is our soil. It's all about the soil, isn't it? It is, yeah. Often when we think of soil, we think of dirt, uh, we think of something boring and brown, but soil is sexy, right? How can we start to get people interested in soil and where their food comes from? You know, it's interesting. When I studied soil science it was very um, chemistry based it was there was nothing alive about it and then the more and more I've learned sometimes I think about it it's almost like a horror movie like if you could tune in there there's literally 
blood curdling screams there's huge diversity of microorganisms that are consuming each other and then they're releasing like poos and wheeze and spit and vomit and that's all the stuff that stops erosion there's organisms that will control insects for instance and they will grow inside their bodies and then like the movie aliens they'll explode and send their spores out into the atmosphere there's certain organisms like a vampire amoeba that come along and suck the juices out of each other there's a type of fungus that grows inside plants and then out into the soil environment and it sends out a smell that smells like a damaged root and root feeding nematodes will respond to that and as they swim close and up to these loops the loops expand and the fungus literally grabs them in a noose and then the body of that nematode slowly decays and then it absorbs its nutrients like it's this incredible landscape of die or fight or consume and it's just it's complex and it's alive and I really wouldn't want to come back in my next life as a as a soil organism but yeah that's that's how nutrient cycling works right (laughs) yeah Yeah. um I grew up around farmers and I know and love a lot of farmers sometimes I think I annoy them because I'm sitting behind a desk asking them questions and they've been sitting on a tractor all day working hard so how do I convince them that um, I might have some good ideas? How do I convince them to move in a different direction? One, I take the word convince out of my language. I, I never feel like there's anyone that I need to convince. Um, one, I feel like if, if people are coming to me or they're coming to events, then their curiosity is open. And so I'm just really interested in where's your starting point right now? What are your goals? And what are those current barriers? And then working within that space, because as far as I'm concerned, there's not a farmer out there in the world that doesn't care about soil. They know that this is the foundation of what their operations are built on and what's been holding systems in place could be things like debt. It could be the machinery they have, the people that knock on the door, the agronomists that keep everything in play and keep everything at place. And and that is also part of industrial agriculture was the, the monoculture of the mind. And what I find is as we start to open doors and dig holes and take a look at, well, what's the potential of this? One of the most powerful things I, I can do with a producer is we dig a hole in the field and then dig a hole in an undisturbed fence line. And that light bulb that goes on when you see oh, this compaction is because of me, this lack of water infiltration is because of my management, even though I care. And so I'm just really interested in working with where people are at and then how do we address some of the structures that mean that a farmer can't diversify a crop, that they can't have a rolling, let's say fallow, or they can't introduce livestock or whatever it is that's currently holding them back. What I see with a lot of producers is there's a lot of stress and and for, for a lot of good reasons, right? There's a lot of pressure coming at them from different ways and that actually makes it more challenging to do something new and different. And this is why I really love that McCain's program, that first startup is education. So getting out in the field and helping people to understand this is the value of this and this is what we have been losing and then uh, we adopt what we call the methadone program don't tell your growers that we call it that eves but the methadone program in terms of what are some of the things that we can substitute and put into the system that means that we can dramatically drop some of these more harmful chemicals or harmful practices and still get the outcome that they're looking for So it means they don't have to do a a whole systems change and get a whole lot of equipment and change what they 
know already is working. So, you know, finding what are people's values, what do they want to keep in a system moving forward, and then and then how do we keep those values and yet improve these other ecological outcomes? Okay, great. And finally, best way to eat a potato. Nicole. I really like a hassle back on the barbecue with a duck lard all over it. Wow. (laughs) So for me, of course, fries is my favorite. But again, I'm a potato person and I actually like all the types of potatoes, all the different varieties and different ways to prepare it. So I would say, again, diversity here is a key of life. Very good answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thanks, everyone. That was a fascinating discussion. I loved how we linked what we're eating to what's happening on farms. And the biggest takeaway I got from it is it's terribly complex. And that's why we haven't dealt with it till now. But we're now in the situation where harvests are failing and we have to farm in a different way. And that's going to take a lot of work looking at that complexity. But it can be a positive thing. It's so often as an environmental journalist, I sit in a room with people and I come out so depressed. But I actually feel a bit of hope from that conversation that even though we've farmed in a particular way for, you know, 150 years, we have really been hard on the land. We're now coming around to realising the impact that's had and that there might be a solution in stepping back and looking at how complex the soil is. We don't know everything about the soil. It's too complex, but we can try and that can give us a healthier landscape and hopefully healthier food. Thanks so much for joining me on the Hot Potato Podcast. If you'd like to know more about regenerative agriculture and how it could transform our environment and our food, check out the links in the show notes. Next time, we're at Climate Week in New York. See you then. See you then.